Take your Bible with me to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. We're going to continue in the series. We're going to start tonight in verse 4. If you don't have your Bible, the verses will be up on the screen. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo over that the, sh- the ship was into the sea, excuse me, to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and was laying down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? (laughs) For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rolled hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Every difficulty in my life and your life is a result of someone, whether ourselves or someone else in our life, being out of the will of God. The mess that we're in today is in humanity is because we can trace it all the way back to Adam, right? Adam and Eve. Once they got out of the will of God, the entire human race from there on would go through many, many difficult days, to say the least. I'm convinced that there are many Christians in America's Christian culture who are comfortable outside of the will of God, who live the majority of their lives in some way, shape, or form, in willful rebellion against the God of the universe. And sometimes we think 
well, it's just a little small area. But God isn't really concerned with my entertainment choices, or God isn't really concerned with this area. I'm good in all these other ones. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, as we sung a moment ago, we serve a holy God. And he is concerned with our lives. He is concerned with our choices. He is concerned with where we are with him and obedience. And I've learned this in my life and through the testimony of Scripture and personal experience that obedience always leads to blessing from God. And disobedience to God, willful rebellion to God always leads to eventual correction. The Bible says whom the Lord loves, he chastens. I would argue if you haven't received correction from God, then maybe, maybe he isn't your father. All of us who are his children know of times where we were in rebellion, we were running away, we were on a ship going to Tarshish trying to get away from him where he sent a storm where he sent a a time of correction. And I want you to understand God's heart in that he is a good, good father like we sing sometimes. And it is always for us to be back into the parameters where he can bless us. God wants the best for you tonight. I want you to know that. God desires the best for me. And oftentimes we are our worst enemy when it comes to that. Jonah is a man like you and I, and We learned last time Jonah got a clear call from God to go to uh, Nineveh. He said, go and cry against the city. Go and cry against them and their wickedness. And I, I want you to go, Jonah. Rise up and go. But we know that Jonah rebelled. He rose up, but he went the opposite direction. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. And it was, as we learned last week, the furthest distance he knew away from Nineveh. He, he was very firm in the fact that he was not going to obey God. Anybody have a, a child like that, a strong-willed child? That if you tell them one thing, they are going to be sure to do the opposite. I have one. She's four years old now. <clears throat> and I'll tell her to do something, and she'll look at me. She'll wait to see if I'm going to get up or if I'm going to repeat what I'm going to say. Like literally, she looked me in the eye the other day. She, she told me, Dad, I'm not afraid of anything. I said, I know, Zuri. And I just prayed for her right then. Like, God, I know you put this fight in her for some reason. How many of you guys have had a baby since 2020? I mean, I'm telling you, those 2020 babies are different. I'm going to tell you. Maybe because God knows what's coming up on the horizon and they're going to need to be strong. (laughs) But she's different and I just chalk it up to, okay, God, that's how you made her. I'm going to do my best to steward her and, and you know, point her towards you. But many times we are like that. We hear sermon after sermon. We hear, we, we, we are aware of clear commands that God has given to us, and we still rebel. We still choose to do the opposite of what God said. And this is where Jonah finds himself. And the Bible says that God sent out a great wind. I want you to notice with me tonight the supernatural storm that God sent on that sea 
on that Mediterranean Sea. It was unlike anything these sailors had ever seen. These Phoenician sailors would have been the most skilled sailors in the world. They would have had many, many hours of man time, days, weeks, months on the water. They would have had every skill needed to navigate a storm. They would have no doubt seen many storms in their time on the oceans. But this storm was different. The Bible describes it as a mighty tempest that God sent a a great wind so that the ship was about to be broken up. It was so strong, this supernatural storm, it frightened these seasoned sailors. The boat was about to be destroyed. And I want you to see what these frightened sailors did. They began to call out to their gods. They began to cry out to their God. Look at verse number five. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God. So this is a a clear teaching that these men had different gods and uh, they had different superstitions and different ways that they felt that if they would cry out to this specific deity that they would maybe show mercy, have mercy on them while they were in this storm. These men cried out to God. These strong, burly sailors, you know, when they were in the time of distress, they cried out. You ever been in those type of seasons or times where it's life or death? I've, I've, and you know, it's so funny when people, when we're in those times of life or death, we, our default usually is to cry out to God. To cry out to God, oh God, you know, you've seen, you've heard it, you, you, you've heard the stories. Because the fact of the matter that when it comes down to those moments, there's only one who can intervene. There's only one who can save. There's only really one who can make a difference, and it's God. You don't find too many atheists in that, in those type of moments. They cry out to whatever God they can think about. I want to be honest with you. When something supernatural comes up or when life or death, dire circumstances come about, often people, these men, they they did not know the Lord. They were pagan by nature. So they were calling out to the, the only gods that they knew. Not only did they cry out to their gods, but they began to cast the cargo over. They, they, they felt that if they were lighten the load, the Bible talks about in verse number five, that maybe the ship would not be destroyed. It would not sink. The supernatural storm was something to behold. But I want you to see, secondly, a sedated sleeper. <laughs> the Bible records that while this is going on, while these men are praying, they're having a prayer meeting, right? While they're having a prayer meeting and casting off the cargo, working to try to keep the ship afloat, that Jonah had gone, the man that got the preacher had gone into the inner part of the ship, the bottom of the ship, and had fallen fast asleep. The Bible says that he he lay down and he was fast asleep. Jonah sleeps like I do. I've slept through earthquakes. (laughs) I'm telling you, like, God gives his beloved's rest, right? The Bible says. And I'm not a light sleeper. My poor wife, she's a light, a light sleeper, but I can sleep through anything. And here Jonah, he's in a, a sleep state. He, he was getting REM sleep at this point. He was in the deep part of it, right? 
He was in the lowest parts of the ship while this is going on. And the Bible records that the captain had to come and wake him up. You see, he had become so calloused in his rebellion to God that it took this pagan man to to wake him up from his sleep. The Bible records that he rebukes, (laughs) he rebukes Jonah. And the captain said to him, what do you mean? Verse number six, sleeper. You sluggard. Anybody have a child like that? You got to just you have to drag out of the bed and and uh, they, they like to sleep too much. You know, that's a problem. I'm not going to preach a sermon on that, but, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about the, the sluggard and the, those who like to sleep too much, who love sleep. And and um, I'm not saying this is Jonah, but in this moment, he's he's asleep in the captain rebukes him. He says, arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God, your God will consider us that we may not perish. So Jonah, he's fast asleep. He's the, the man of God. We, re, we learned that he's a prophet, right? He's the man of God. He was the go-between between God and man. He was a contemporary of men like Elijah and Elisha. Uh, he knew the one true living God and He's asleep and he's getting rebuked by this pagan. He says, wake up and call on your God so that we may not perish. The pagan had to call Jonah to the prayer meeting. Get the irony of that. (laughs) But I read a commentary. It it talks about, it it told me some things that really parallel a lot of us in Christianity today. Some lessons we can learn from Jonah's sleep. Jonah slept in a place where he hoped no one would see him or disturb him. Many sleeping Christians like to hide out among the church. Many Christians, they they just want to be left alone. They just want (laughs) to, they don't want to be an active part of the mission They just want to come in, get what they need, and and go out. And it's very sad. You guys understand that church is a family, but it is also, it is an organism. It is the, the organism that God has called to reach the world, to do the work of the ministry. I want to tell everyone in this room tonight, you know, you are in the ministry if you're saved. There is a spot for you. There is a gift that God has given you, equipped you with, that only you should be uh, exercising, you need to be using. And this is the state of many in the church today. They hide out. And then Jonah slept in a place where he could not help the work that needed to be done. He was in the inner part of the ship while they were casting the cargo over to lighten the load. Jonah was far away from the work. Jonah slept while there was a prayer meeting on deck. Sleeping Christians do not like prayer meetings. Let's be honest. The prayer meeting is the least attended service in the church. Every church. You know why? Because it's the one place that I think the enemy fights the most because he knows that's where the power is. And the flesh fights the most. 
You see, when you've been feasting on Netflix all week and you've been caving to sin and we've been living a life that is in rebellion to God, the last thing that we want to do is pray or be around people who are going to pray. When we are in open rebellion to God, the last thing that we want to do is pray. You ever been there where you know your prayers are going to hit the ceiling? (laughs) You know you're not right with God. You know that God is not pleased with what you did or where you're at and that unconfessed sin. Jonah slept and he had no idea of the problems around him. Sleeping Christians do not know what is really going on. Jonah slept while he was in great danger. Listen to me. Hear me right here. This one really hit home. Sleeping Christians are in danger, but don't know it. You remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, Satan hath desire to sift you. But don't worry. I've, I've prayed for you. You know, many Christians, you're this close to Satan sifting you. To your marriage being dis- destroyed to your family being scattered, to losing your testimony. Oh, I'm telling you, the most dangerous place for a Christian to be is asleep. And the devil knows how to lull us to sleep. He knows how to allow us to just get comfortable in in a pattern of sin and then boom. Are you sleeping? Jonah slept while the heathen needed him. <laughs> or that's an older word, but the, the unsaved needed him. Sleeping Christians snooze while the world that needs them and our message are perishing. And I want you to just let that soak in. The theme of this book is God and his heart to save God and his amazing grace. And today we are in a a world that needs him more than ever. And many Christians are asleep. Many Christians are apathetic. Many Christians have no desire to serve God and his harvest field. I was privileged yesterday to go through a little tour of a of a home that a family in this church has that houses people who are coming off the street and who are recovering from drug addiction. And, and as I walked through that facility and I saw some of the people, I, I saw a mom parked on the street and I think there was like five or six kids with her living in that car. Or they, they probably stayed in the facility, I hope. But they're sitting in the car. They told me the story of another mom that some men from our church met who was living in her car for a year with her kids. And she had two, uh, two, I believe, 11 month old or 11, one 11 month old or a baby living in the car. And it just broke my heart. And you know what really got beginning to work in me? You know, I've driven by this place dozens of times. I had no idea what was going on. 
And God made me aware of the need. And may I say I was asleep to the needs of some right here in this community. I want you to understand that you know that the society that we live in, the, the reason why Western civilization has been what it is and why we have the hospitals and the orphanages and, and the, those that care from the, for the fatherless and the widows and their affliction. You want to know the, the main group of people who have been the spearhead behind these type of things. It's been Christians, historically. And I'm telling you, when we wake up from our sleep, we see the needs around us. And not only are we going to see the need, then we will take the lead. We will do things to help those in their time of need. And the Bible is still true when it says that pure religion undefiled is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Let me ask you, Christian, do you have pure religion? Where does it show up in your life? Where are you going out and reaching out to those in need? And I'm not preaching some social gospel, but I'm going to tell you this. Christians who love the Lord, who are on fire for him, they are going to care about the needs of others. And they're going to do something about it. And the truth is, many Christians, we live in our little self-contained world in our nice house in Quartz Hill, and we have our hobbies, and we have our, you know, our vacation every year, and we never step outside of that comfort zone to go and help a, a single mom, a homeless mom. I'm telling you, we never really do the work of God. We never really share the gospel uh, to someone in the desert. I'm telling you, we've got to give back to getting aligned in the will of God. I'm guilty of this too. Are you callous tonight like Jonah was? Asleep? What's gotten you distracted? I mean, are, are we in a deep sleep while the world around us? The captain rebukes him. The captain had to call the preacher to prayer. He says, rise up, little sleeper. And pray, call on your God, perhaps your God will consider us. So we see tonight a supernatural storm. This was unlike any storm these sailors had ever seen. Frightened them. They thought they would perish. Secondly, we see the sedated sleeper Jonah <clears throat> in the innermost parts of the ship, asleep while they were in danger. We see thirdly tonight, a shameful showing. Look at verse number seven. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. <laughs> the sovereignty of God on display here. He's sovereign over the seas. But do you know he's also sovereign over the little stones or whatever they use to cast those lots? <laughs> this comforted me. This comforted me. A lot of people are up in arms with all that's going on, and I get there sometimes. I'm not going to try to 
act like I'm holier than thou, like, oh, it doesn't bother me. But sometimes we forget that we serve the sovereign God. That means that he's seen ahead. He already knows what's going to happen. He's in control. He reigns. The second part of that word is reign. He reigns over the affairs of men. And I want to remind somebody of that tonight. Our God reigns. And he even made the stones in those casting lots to land on Jonah. What a shameful showing. He's the man of God, but he's the problem. He's the reason. While things are going on, their investigation revealed this. You see, these seasoned sailors knew that this storm was like no other storm they'd ever experienced. And they concluded that it was judgment upon someone who was on board. (laughs) These sailors were smart. And they investigated and they got the answer. The lot fell on Jonah. I want to remind us too, this is something God just reminded me of too. Our sin doesn't stay, remain, doesn't just impact ourselves. Our sin impacts those around us. Anybody know about, any husbands know about that? Maybe you're arguing with your wife and maybe you guys are giving each other silent treatment. And your kids, don't act like nobody's been there. (laughs) They're like, (laughs) oh, I know, I've been there. And let me tell you, the kids feel that tension. Anybody, any girl dads in here, your little girl knows when you're not treating mama the way that you should be treating mama. Your boys too. And likewise, Wives in here, you don't think your kids see the disrespect? You don't think they feel that? You're shooting yourself in the foot. You're setting your kids up to pattern that model. And it's, it, your sin impacts your others around you, those nearest to you usually. Our sin is not a little thing. It doesn't just stay with us. It impacts others. These sailors were in the storm because of the rebellion of Jonah. And they investigated and find this, found this out. And, but I want to see the sailors going to now interrogate. They're going to interrogate. The lot fell on Jonah. Now they're going to get to the bottom of this. Why? In verse number eight, they said to him, please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? And of what people are you? They're they're interrogating him. They're giving him the shakedown. (laughs) And Jonah's going to, he's going to answer honestly. Jonah says to them, verse number nine, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. I want you to just hear Jonah in this moment. I think Jonah is beginning to repent here. He says, I fear the Lord. You know, that word is Yahweh. I fear the one and only Yahweh. He gives God glory, even though he's in active rebellion, even though he's on the ship heading to Tarsus, he confesses before these men, the person of God, that he is the Lord Yahweh. 
He goes on, he says, the God of heaven. The God of heaven and his matchless power is on display here in this storm. (laughs) He said, the God who made the sea and dry land. Oh, our God is awesome. The one true God, unlike their many false gods. So Jonah, he testifies of his guilt. He testifies that he is the reason for this storm because his God is the one true God, the one who made the sea that they were on. Isn't this a shameful showing? Here he is having to confess in front of these men that the reason why they're in jeopardy, the reason why their lives are on the line is because of his rebellion, is because of his sin. And it's shameful. Anybody been there? Oh, I've had to apologize to my kids. Daddy's wrong. His attitude's wrong. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that. And it's, it's a little bit shameful. <laughs> when you have to go back and apologize later, you know, and because of your, your rebellion, because of your sin, and, and I'm telling you this, maybe this is God's warning to someone in this room, because I've always learned this. I don't care if it's secret sin that you think nobody knows about. Eventually, God is going to expose it, and you will have to publicly deal with the consequences. And I don't think that a lot of people, a lot of people in the church today don't fear God. And instead of repenting before he exposes, most times we, when we're dealing with it here at church, within the, the, the family context and within other things, a lot of the times the person, the perpetrator is upset because they're caught. They're not upset because <laughs> they're not repentant yet. Jonah got caught, right? He hadn't repented until he got caught. <laughs> Until a lot fell on him. And let me encourage us, all of us, that's me included, that's everyone, I don't care, no one is exempt from God's hands or his correction. Hey, if there is something right now, you know, that the Lord is pointing to and saying, hey, that right there, I've been telling you. For years, maybe, maybe God's been so patient with us. He's been so gracious with you. And he's saying to do his word tonight, I believe, hey, turn around now before you are put to shame. So Jonah, he's, I think he's at the point of repenting. After he is exposed, he says, I am the Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. Verse number 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid. I think these men have, at this point, more reverence and fear of God than Jonah did. He says they were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? Why? You ever ask your kids that? Or you're, why? Why? What were you thinking? 
For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And uh, this was a shameful time for Jonah, no doubt. And let me encourage you before we move on. Hey, the altar is going to be open at the end of this. You can lay down whatever it is that God maybe had been convicting you about. And walk away. And you know what I've learned? You know how Jonah's on the sea? The Bible talks about how God will take our sin and cast it into a sea called the sea of forgetfulness. (laughs) And he will remember them, our transgressions. He will not remember them. The God who knows everything will willfully forget my sin and your sin. Glory to God. If you're in rebellion tonight, any known area that you're in rebellion tonight, put it down before the shame comes, before the regret comes. I want to see last and tonight a sorrowful scene. A sorrowful scene. Jonah's he's been exposed. And now these men know he's the cause and and the storm is still growing increasingly stronger as they're talking, as they're going through this interrogation. And I want you to see the sailors plea. What do they say to Jonah? Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? (laughs) They're trying to save their own necks. They know that this is Jonah's doing. And they say, what should we do to you? Because the sea was growing more tempestuous. Jonah said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Now, I used to think, I used to preach that Jonah was just being stubborn at this point. He was still not willing to repent. But I've had a change of heart as I I looked into this. I think that Jonah was willing to sacrifice his life for those of the sailors. He was willing in this time to, to, to take the punishment that he knew he was due. (laughs) He was willing to die. He recognized the grave consequences of his choices, and he knew that it would require some sort of judgment. Jonah, I believe, he repented and he was willing at this point to give himself for these men. One commentary I read said this about this example. It said Jonah uh, is a, this, this part of Jonah is a example or a, a picture of what true repent, repentance looks like. Not only is it a matter of the heart, but is a matter of action. How many of you guys have seen or maybe you've been here, you've repented of something, and then you go back to it <laughs> a week later. You repent, but you don't change. You repent of that pornography habit, but you don't put the software or get accountability. You don't, for a season, switch to a flip phone. <laughs> you, I mean, whatever it may be, 
True repentance is a change of heart, yes, but it also is a change in direction. The Bible says that we should make no provision for the flesh. If I struggle with alcohol, I'm not going to go out with my friends to the bar. I remember when God was pulling me out of that life and my friends would call me week after week and say, hey, let's go out, let's go out, let's go out. And I, I, I would say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going out anymore. I'll hang out with you here. Let's go do this. Let's do something else. But I can't be in this environment. And I remember the calls got lesser and lesser and lesser. You see, because misery loves company. I'm going to be honest with you. Some, some, <laughs> you have some friends that the only thing you have in common, the only thing that keeps you guys around each other is the vice, is the, the drug, is the, the sin. You know? And um, when we repent of those things, there should be action. There should be change. So Jonah, he tells them to throw him into the sea. (laughs) Pick me up, verse 12, and throw me into the sea, and then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. But I want to see these mariners, they, they were men of integrity. They didn't want to do it. Maybe because they feared God, or maybe they cared for Jonah, even though he had put them in this situation, it says in verse number 13, nevertheless, the men rolled hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. I want you to notice the sailors' prayer. They begin to pray to Yahweh. You remember when they were talking about earlier when the storm was going on, pray to your God, pray to your God. But I want you to notice how they pray here. They're praying to uh, Yahweh now. They're praying to Jonah's God. (laughs) Look at verse 14. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord, Yahweh, and said, we pray, oh, Yahweh. (laughs) They, they, They knew this is the God of the land and the sea. Please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood for you, O Lord, Yahweh, have done it as it pleased you. They begin to pray. These these pagans. And um, you know what? I've been really praying in this season in our nation is that we would see a mighty manifestation of God's power that would cause even those who are skeptics, even those who are pagans, those who are atheists, those who are whatever you might be, to have to acknowledge the one true living God. You know, that could happen in, listen, do you, do y'all think if revival hit the church and God radically transformed us and we were truly different and filled with his spirit and we started impacting our 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 world like he's called us to do you think that some people some heathens will have to wake up you think somebody in your family would have to acknowledge hey you're different what 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 is this 
I'm telling you, this is what we're praying for. This is why we, we still have 6 a.m. prayer. And I've determined in my heart whether there's two or 200 here, I'm going to be here praying. And let me tell you what, <laughs> usually those who are pressing in get to see it first. You know, when I go to a sporting event, I, I don't want to sit up in the nosebleeds and I want to be as close as I can. I remember in 2020, my, my best friend, he got box seats and those were, you know, a, a nice box seats. It wasn't as close as I would have dreamed of being, but it was a nice box seats at the Lakers and they brought food to the room and, you know, everything. You, I mean, they brought this big dessert table. I mean, it was a, it was a luxury experience. And he, he, I had to pay one cent. Listen to me. We pulled into the under parking garage. We walked literally like two minutes to in, right into Staples. It was the best experience I've ever had at a sporting event. And I got to see, you know, LeBron and the rest of those guys go at it. And it was a great experience. And I'm telling you this. I was able to go because of his job, his his, uh, his perks, my friendship with him. I'm telling you, those who are pressing into Jesus, those who are seeking Jesus, you will be on the front row of what he's going to do. And I want to encourage us, keep pressing in. Oh, I know it. It gets, it gets tough, you know. But let's keep pressing in. So these men pray. And then I want you to see not only their prayer, but I want you to see they pitched the man of God over the board. <laughs> they threw Jonah over the side of the boat. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the Bible says, and the sea ceased from its raging. I, I imagine as soon as Jonah hit the water, supernatural, <laughs> you know, just, just unbelievable. And this is what I believe happened in the Bible. I, I believe confirms it because the Bible says in verse 16, these sailors begin to praise. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly <laughs> and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now, Many of the commentaries that I read on that verse said that these men, they, had, they gave their, they took a vow unto the one true living God. They, they became believers. And I believe that. They feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to him. They were so grateful that they had been spared and they took vows. I want you to see the Lord. He, he had a dual purpose in that storm. <laughs> and I want you to know when God usually sends a storm, there's, there's a there's not just usually one purpose in that thing, but the dual purpose in in this storm was to get a hold of Jonah, <laughs> was to intercept Jonah, but also to save these sailors. And I want you to know tonight, this is the grace of God on display once again. Jonah deserves judgment 
God could have struck Jonah dead in that boat, you know, and not sent a storm. He could have done it many, a plethora of ways. But he chose to send a storm. He chose to get a hold of these sailors and, and also to bring Jonah to the point of repentance from his rebellion. And next time we come together, I'm going to start in verse 17. I might just preach that one verse for 30 minutes. But God prepared, I was going to read it for you. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. God's grace was waiting for Jonah at the point of repentance. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but Jonah's in there for three days. <laughs> I think Jonah had a revival for three days in that, that belly of that well. Because God will break us, you know. He knows what, need, what needs to be done in our lives. And he's going to continue that work. Aren't you thankful that he who has begun a good work in you and me will complete it? He will finish it. If you're here, we sang it tonight, and I'm, I, every time I hear that, that he's not done with me yet, that you know what that does? That encourages me to keep on pressing in. He's not done with you yet. I'm telling somebody here tonight, you may have walked in here in open rebellion to God, but he sent you here to hear this message because he's not done with you yet. He couldn't be done with us. We did enough today for him to be done with us. You know, I'm done with you. I'm tired of uh, waiting on you to listen to me, your rebellion. No, that's not our, our heart. That's not his heart. That's not his posture. He is a God who is rich in mercy and grace, and he desires restoration more than he desires judgment. Oh, <laughs> if you only, if we only understood how good he is. We couldn't help but serve him. Jonah, he had a lesson before him. The man of God wasn't done being taught a few things. And let me tell you, I don't care if you've been saved eight months or 80 years, God is still chipping away at you. Isn't he? Amen. And me too. Let him do what he wants to do. Don't, don't, Resist him in rebellion tonight.